listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Let's begin sharing some things that I've been thinking a lot about, uh, things that have been real personal. Uh, last week, uh, I had this thought, and it's been rolling around in my head. Uh, wherever Karen went, she said, Mark, you can't do that. I said, what if 2021 doesn't get any better? What if it actually gets worse? And so we talked and looked at, through Paul where uh, he in 2 Corinthians where we saw how difficult it was for him that becoming a believer. And if we're honest, it's really easy to be a Christian where we live, and what's going on. You can become a believer and nothing probably changes about your life. But for Paul, all that he was willing to go through, to being beaten, shipwrecked, uh, stoned, to the point they thought he was dead, and this is what we talked about, was the value of something isn't necessarily what you would pay to have it. But once you have something, what would you be willing to give up to keep it? So this week, I want to share something else, and it is a, a battle that I face, seems like a hundred, if not a thousand times a day. Sometimes it's a battle that's seen, other times it is not. Uh, I see this battle in my life, things like this, when things don't go my way, I tend to not handle that very well. When I need to do something that I don't want to do. The battle happens. It happens in my marriage. It happens with my kids. Happens with my parents. Sometimes with my friends. And even in this church, this battle happens. And sometimes it's this battle that goes on even in my mind that no one else can see or hear. And we actually see this battle in Scripture that we're going to talk about today. In this battle, you see it in a prayer. In fact, if you grew up in church, it's one that you've probably memorized. But we have to start with what is actually prayer? Because what you see a lot of times, probably the most common thing we would say, it's talking to God. That's what it is. It's we're talking to our Father. But prayer is something that's practiced by many people and even many other religions. Muslims in that faith, Islam, they pray five times a day. The Jews traditionally pray three times. Buddhists use this prayer wheel. If you're a Hindu, you pray to several gods and oftentimes they're praying for people to escape reincarnation. So prayer is this thing, but it's not limited to just Christians or just Christianity. Then there must be something that is unique for Christians. But I have to be honest with you, this is a very, very dangerous prayer to pray. In fact, if you pray it and you believe it and you yield to it, it can radically change your life. But if you are comfortable and you don't want anything rocking the boat, then I would say you need to absolutely stay away from this prayer. And this is what we're going to see. In fact, this week, just this week, I've experienced some small victories just through this prayer, even this week. So we're going to walk through today the Lord's Prayer, something maybe you've memorized as a child. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. As you're doing that, I want to give you a little bit of the kind of context of this. And 
In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is going around and he's doing all these things people have never seen before where the lame are beginning to walk and the blind are beginning to see. He's casting out demons and he's beginning teaching in ways that people have never heard and his popularity is growing immensely. And at the end of that chapter, it says that great crowds were gathering around him. Well, then in chapter 5, Jesus withdraws and he takes those that are closest to him, his disciples, and he gathers them around to teach. In fact, Matthew 5 through 7 is the longest recorded teaching that we have of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And you read through it and it isn't this list of things you need to go do, but Jesus is painting this picture of what a true, genuine believer is like. But right in the middle of all this, it is something that should stop us dead in our tracks. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And it begins in verse 9. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. If you memorized it as a child in a group, you can always, you can probably still hear everybody doing this. I learned it in the King James, so it was our Father who in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But notice what he says, how he begins. He says, our Father. The first thing that he begins with is this idea of unity, that as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we all share the same Father. There's just one. And when we pray, we are affirming that we are all brothers and sisters Under this one father. But then you get into the languages. And you see this word father. It's the word Abba. This is a term that a child would use. Referring to their dad. Their papa. It's not a formal word. It's very, very personal. But it's the next phrase that I often misunderstood. And I had a very wrong picture of. So it's when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But before we walk through the first part of that, I want to focus in on, he says, your name. Because names to us are this really convenient way just to identify people. You know, you say a name and you're trying to get this person's attention. You're just identifying who they are. But when you read through the scriptures and especially Under the Jewish context, a name had passive meaning. In fact, in John chapter 1, Jesus, he says, his name will be Jesus, son of the most high God. Then what does Jesus even do? He takes several disciples and when they begin to follow him, he changes their name because a name was connected to a person's identity. So when we pray that God's name It's talking about his character, about who he is, that his person, that it would be hallowed. Now, that's a term we probably don't use often. So what is he talking about when it's recorded that Jesus says, pray like this, that his name would be hallowed? Well, this word, it means holy or set apart. It means to be not normal. To be taken out of that, not being common. So to hallow something 
is you take something and you make it sacred or you make it ultimate. So when you hallow something, you're showing what is most important. So if you hallow something, that's what you're doing. You're giving it, you're showing its significance or its importance. That it is set apart, it is not common. So those four words right there, hallowed be your name. And you know what he has just done? He has just identified almost all the problems that we have. Because almost every problem we have boils down to that we are always hallowing something. We all do it. In fact, in marriage, statistics show us that if you've been married, that 70% of your fights will be about one thing. 70% about the things that we argue, we disagree about, we fight about, are all about really one thing. If you've been married long enough, you know how it goes. There's that common language you begin using when things happen. It's because we tend to fight about the same thing. In fact, as a pastor, I've had the honor, the privilege to sit down with people from time to time that are having difficult times, whether it's in their marriage or it's parenting or it's family situations. And I say an honor or privilege because I absolutely believe that. It is an honor to sit down with somebody that says, I need help. Man, it takes great courage and it takes a lot of humility to say, I need help. And I've been one of those at one time that have had to reach out to say, I need help. And so I want to encourage all of us, no matter how this year unfolds, that if things get to a point that we would reach out to someone. But it was one time I was going through a pastoral counseling class. And um, I don't remember much about it, but I remember one thing that I heard. And it was a question. And it's been a question that I've used sitting down with people. And so let's say uh, fictionally, I promise I'm not talking about anybody. I'm not doing that. I'm making it up. <clears throat> a couple comes and sits down and says, I don't know, we're having problems. We're, we're not communicating. We're fighting a lot. And usually it'll go something like this. Well, what brings you here today? Or what, what's the issue? What's the problem? <clears throat> and they'll say, we're fighting a lot. Man, we can't seem to communicate. We argue about what type of milk to buy. Uh, we fought about, uh, fought about, you know, we spent too much time at his parents and not as equal time at mine. Or whose turn is it to get up and go let the dog out? So you stop and you pose this question. No matter what's going on, if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up and let's say everything that is going wrong, it's fixed. What would happen? What would they say? What would they do? What would your spouse do or say that you would know everything is fixed? So you ask the guy and he says, you know, we're fighting about everything. We can't communicate. Well, if you woke up tomorrow and everything was miraculously fixed, how would you know that everything was done? I don't know. Maybe he says, you know what? If she would stop correcting my grammar in front of people. In that moment... You see something. For him, what really is the issue is he is feeling disrespected because that is what he's hallowing. He hallows that. Or she might say, you know what, we fight about everything. How, how would you know everything was fixed if you woke up the next morning? What would he say or do? And I don't know, maybe she says something like, you know, if he would, I would know everything is fixed if he would plan something just for the two of us without me having to do that. He would plan it and, and surprise me with that. 
And in that moment, you realize what the problem is, is she's hallowing feeling important, feeling valued. Because we all are valuing, we all are hallowing something. So the very first instruction on praying, he says above all that we would hallow God's name and his character. But why would Jesus begin this way? Why would he begin this prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, be your name. Well, for one, it's who he's talking to. It's because they were hallowing themselves. If you read back through the very beginning of this, you'll see two different illustrations. One of people giving. And they would give so that people would know how much they're giving. Or they're praying and they're using these elaborate words and they're doing it out in the public really loud where everybody can hear them. And what they were hallowing above everything else was themselves. But there's another reason I believe Jesus does this. It's because all of our problems are rooted in what we hallow. Jesus knows all of our problems, our frustrations, our anxieties, and the things that stress us out. And it all comes from what we value. Because when we have things that we value and we hold as supreme, those things that we are hallowing, when they get threatened, that's when we get upset. That's when we get frustrated. That's when anxiety and depression comes, when the things that we hallow are threatened. And so I think Jesus is saying that we will truly never be able to pray the rest of this prayer openly and honestly until the Lord is the most important thing to us. And I think we'd all say, of course God's important to me. I'm here, aren't I? I'm in person. I'm online. Yes, he's important to me. But is he our ultimate thing in life? Do we really want him to be honored above ourselves? Do we really want him to get credit for the things that we're doing? Do we want people to look at us and admire us? Or do we want others to see God as the source of all that we have and are? So do this. The next time you find yourself frustrated, the next time you find yourself, the blood begins boiling, the next time you feel anxiety happening and depression coming, stop and ask yourself in that moment, what am I hallowing right now? Because I said earlier, this is a dangerous prayer because Jesus is saying, once we know who we are, praying to our Father in heaven, the first thing we need to pray is that God will be the one at the center of everything, including our lives, that we would be dethroned. And God would have his rightful place. Can you imagine how different our lives would be if that actually happened? But you know what? That doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen by just saying some words. Many of us have memorized it. It doesn't happen by just turning on a switch. It's not easy. So Jesus shows us how our Father's name is to be hallowed. And what's so interesting? It's nothing you do. Look at how he begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So we have to stop and think, okay, what is God's kingdom? Well, 
There's a past, present, and a future reality of God's kingdom. In the past, you see it in Matthew chapter 4, where he says, the beginning right before the Sermon on the Mount, he says, from that time Jesus began preaching and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or Luke 17, 1, that says, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So when Jesus came in his person, he brought the kingdom of God with him. But it's also in the present. I think every time there is a moment where God reigns supremely in the lives of his children, that's seen in how they interact with people in their house or their families and their neighborhoods and their jobs or wherever it might be, when God reigns supreme in that moment, that's God's kingdom. But there's also a future reference that we talked about this morning, that we will see God's kingdom in its fullest when Jesus returns and calls his bride home. So we pray your kingdom come. This expresses that we believe God is reigning supremely in heaven, that he is on the throne in an absolute control of everything. And our desire is that that reality would be seen in us, that God would accomplish his purpose in this world and even in our own lives. Then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are voicing, we are saying that I want God's will above everything else. And that is difficult to pray. Because if you're like me, you love being in charge. Think about it this way. In our marriages, do we really want God's will no matter how difficult it is? Or do we just want to be right and happy? I mean, as difficult as it gets, do we really want God's will in this, no matter how painful and difficult it might be? In our parenting, do we really want God's will for them? Or do we just want to be obeyed and sometimes left alone? Or do we want to figure every detail out for them. But this is a dangerous prayer, and here's why. We are to trust in Him that God is reigning even when things are not going as we had hoped and planned. We make a decision and we move that way, and we look back, and the grass is always greener over here. But one of the purposes of this prayer is to bring our hearts to trust in the Lord's wisdom, not in our own. It is saying, Here's what I want, but I'm trusting that you know best. The prayer is really this activity of submitting our wills to his. But we like being the captain of our own lives and submitting to someone else's will does not come naturally. But the truth is God will not give us anything contrary to his will. He can't do it. That God will not give us anything contrary to his will. And that will always include what is best for us in the long run. So I think the reason we can be so filled with anxiety and frustration and worry. is because we are not sovereign. But we get to call out to the one that is. 
And then verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And I go, why wouldn't Jesus say, you know what? Hey, give us a week's worth or a month or how about a year? He says, daily bread. And I think there's two reasons that we would say, Lord, only give me what I need for today. Sustain me day and then the next and the next and the next. But the second reason is that, Lord, you would give me only what I need up to the point that I still have to look and trust in you. Because if it gave us a week's worth, you know what? It'd take about day two. And then we'd be going, I got this. But give me only what I need so that I still look to you. Because many times, I think we don't have time for God when things are going well. When things are difficult, our backs are against the wall. It seems like in those are the moments, in the desperate times, that we recognize our weakness and our need. And I think that's what Jesus is highlighting. Give us me today my daily bread so that I look to you for the next day and the next day. As my mother would say, I don't get too big for my britches. Then in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Then in this prayer, we're acknowledging who we are and where we would be without the Lord's forgiveness. That we recognize that we have no right to call upon him. But because of his loving forgiveness, we can come into his presence without fear and condemnation. But then it says that we realize when we've been forgiven, there will be a desire to forgive other people. Because I absolutely believe this. You and I will never have to forgive someone more than we have been forgiven. And we will never have to show more grace to someone than we have been shown. But it's so easy to get into that place to go, they don't deserve it. You don't know what they've done for the hundredth time. And no, I may not. But I promise you, it's not more than you've been forgiven. Well, how do I give this person another chance? They've hurt me so many times or this person has let me down or they will never come through for me. How do I keep Showing them grace after grace after grace. It's realizing how much you've been shown. And then in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That our only hope in standing up against the evil one, like we sang today, that the battle is his. The only way of withstanding temptation is through the power of the Spirit. Because we need to be reminded there is not a single sin that you and I are not capable of. It's only by God's restraining grace if we haven't committed it. And it shows us his forgiveness over and over again that we can stand up and fight temptation. Well, when reading about prayer, listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones says it. When you pray, when a human is speaking to God, that is the highest activity they can engage in. And that is really my hope for this year is that we would be a praying people. But no, this is a very dangerous prayer because it is a prayer that can absolutely uproot and radically change your life. But I want us to notice one thing about this prayer. 
it's really, I think, how we should understand it. Because when I memorized it, I, I create these little pictures, these little boxes, and everything had its little box. And it was the first one, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. And I learned it in these little boxes along the way. But here is how this prayer should actually be seen and understood. That there's actually an umbrella. And on this umbrella, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then everything flows from that. In fact, we see the whole purpose of the entire universe and every single human in this. That it really needs to be seen this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come so that your name is hallowed. Your will be done so that your name is hallowed. Give me my daily bread so that your name is hallowed. Forgive us and to help us forgive others so that your name is hallowed. Help us resist temptation so that your name is hallowed. So the next time you find yourself frustrated, you find yourself upset, you find anxiety building, stop and ask yourself in this moment, what, what am I hallowing right now? So the next time we find it hard to forgive, to be able to stop and to say, okay, how can I hallow God's name in this moment? I don't want to, but how do I do that? Or temptation comes. We stop and think, in this moment... What will hallow God's name the most? You find yourself in a difficult relationship. Stop and say, okay, how in this moment, how can God's name be hallowed? When it's difficult to make ends meet, to stop and think, in this moment, how can God's name be hallowed? And I think this, the more that will happen, the more important he will actually become to us. Because we will see him moving in all of these things to where one day that will be the thing about us that his name would be hallowed more than mine, more than my finances, more than my marriage, more than my parenting, more in the church of all the things that I'm about that his name would be hallowed. Because all we have to do is to look at two things to see what we hallow the most. It's our bank accounts and our calendars. Now pray that each and every day God takes more and more real estate in those. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.